Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in Cars going to festivals. Today we're discussing our paths toward becoming pagans and druids, ranging from high school mythology and Latin classes to role-playing games. I'm sure it'll come as a shock to all of you, but the experience of being out in nature seems to have been a key facet of both of our paganisms. So we'll talk about the traditions that we came from, what sparked our exploration into other paths in the first place, and what that means for us going forward. So one of the things we get asked all the time is, how did you become pagan? Um, because a lot, of, a lot of people who are pagans are still converts at this point. We don't have many people who were raised pagan. That is changing very quickly. It's changing quickly. But We're I, helping. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say that most people at this point are still converts. Yes, I think so. Um, so one of the things that we get asked a lot of times is how did you become pagan? How did you even realize it was a thing? Um, and all those kinds of questions. So so when, when I was a kid, and I think both of us did this before there was a whole lot of internet. I was like, internet was just now a thing. Yeah. So we're, we're both old enough that going online is not the place where we would have found this. Um, though it certainly reinforced things, I think. Um, but for me, in particular, I was sitting in Latin class. This is Rue's Latin class in high school in Kentucky. I did not go to Catholic school. We just happened to have a Latin class. It was awesome. <laughs> and we were reading Caesar's Commentary on the Gallic War, which in Book 6, Chapter 13-ish, there's a couple of chapters or a couple of paragraphs about the Druids. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is neat. I didn't, didn't realize that this was a thing. And that's how I came to, to Druidry. But before that, even... Um, when I was in Boy Scouts, I took an Indian Lore Merit badge, which got me in touch with the Earth, which is really weird that, you know, <laughs> taking a Merit badge in Boy Scouts would get you in touch with the Earth. But I'd always been kind of environmental in my outlook. Um, and part of the, the process of the Indian Lore Merit Badge at this particular camp that I went to, which was down at Land Between the Lakes in, in Kentucky. The guy who taught it was clearly not teaching out of the book. <laughs> and he sent us out into the woods 
to dig a hole with our friends and put our hands into the hole and cover back up with dirt and think about you know our connection to the earth and to feel the earth's heartbeat, which are totally not requirements <laughs> for the parapet. That's super pagan. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think he was, but this is what I did with my friends from my troop, and it was a. a a deep and meaningful experience for me even though I had no idea what I was doing to sit there and sort of meditate not knowing how to meditate or even what meditation was with my hand in the earth and watching, you know, spiders ants and things like that crawl over the earth in front of me and just feeling very safe and very secure there and so I tried to find ways to express that in my spiritual life and it didn't go very well to start with and this was the mid-ish 90s and so I was not really thinking about things like cultural appropriation when I started thinking about Native American stuff in fact I'd never even heard the term um, for years after this but I, I had this notion that oh, you know, I should have this connection to the earth and this is the only avenue I'd ever heard from it um, but in many ways I think to my credit I uh, I realized very early on that I was really, really white to be trying to, to look to those <laughs> traditions and I wasn't comfortable with it and, I mean, this is within that same summer, I'm like no, there's got to be something different and that's why when I was reading Caesar's Commentary on the Gallic War and I came across these druids who, as painted there, are not the picture of ancient nature-loving priests but I was led to that image by digging deeper uh, and and that was kind of how I stumbled across this whole path now there were also other things involved in that for example I also was a gamer and so Druid came up in the, the gaming world as well and so I have a copy of the second edition AD&D uh, Complete Druid's Handbook that for a very long time thanks to the way that publishing worked in the mid-90s was about the only thing I could get my hands on that was at all reasonable in terms of telling me about who the Celts were and things like that. That's the that's the edition where you still couldn't go dungeoneering with a druid, right? Because you couldn't call lightning inside the dungeon? So they actually they fixed that. Um, <laughs> I know they fixed it, it but... Well, they, they fixed it in the, the handbook by giving you kind of a cave druid sort of option. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> they managed that. But it was that edition. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, and so from there, I started reading more. I, can't, I, I, I dug a lot more. But that's how I sort of stumbled onto Druidry. And back when I was still in high school, I wrote an email to Isaac Bonowitz and asked, you know, hey, I'm interested in this Druidry stuff. Can you tell me you know, where I can find someone local? Uh, and I was in Chicago at the time. He recommended Wild Onion Grove because he actually wrote back to me, which I thought was really cool. <laughs> uh, but now that I've been roaming around ADF and, and the Pagan community for a while, most of the people that you email will email you back, so it's really not that cool in hindsight, but I'm still <laughs> going to hold on to it as a treasured memory. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, another four or five years, it was after I graduated college that I actually looked into ADF and decided that ADF itself was the, the thing that I wanted to do and, how I, and that's how I ended up getting involved in it, and now I've been doing it for, geez, 18 years. So, you? I um, would consider myself pagan from about the time I was in 
kind of middle school-ish, maybe late middle school. Yeah. Um, and it definitely came about from reading mythology in my English classes uh, and realizing, like, kind of making the jump from these are just stories to, oh, these are things that people believed way back when. I remember making that jump as well because I also read a lot of Greek mythology. Yeah, and so, so like, yeah, you're reading them as literature in your English classes, right? But then you're also looking at the context of when they were written. And when when your teacher says, let's look at the context of this culture and this place, and you're like, oh, hmm, I wonder if I could still do that. And which then kind of led me to to looking into the different ways that... uh, that that kind of religion was being done now. Um, And I also had the earth connection because growing up, we lived on about, I don't know, an acre and a half to two acres of land um, that was almost entirely wooded. Like, it was our house and, like, a front yard, and then everything else was woods and creek. And um, so there was a lot for me as a kid to just go out and dig in the dirt, explore, climb trees, sit in the middle of nature. I had a very similar experience. I also lived in a wooded area and spent, you know, sunrise to sunset (laughs) in the woods. Yeah. It wasn't streetlights. It was when the sun goes down because there were no streetlights. It was just when it gets dark, come back inside. Um, So there was definitely that. And I mean, by the time I hit high school, I was solidly pagan. Um, and I'm enough younger than you that by the time I hit high school, internet was a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I was active in the, in the live journal community and met, um, Anna Banana before I started college through live journal. Um, cause I was part of a couple of like the pagan, um, community stuff and she was active in those. And so... We talked for a while, and then I found out that she went to OSU, and I was going to be going to OSU, and so she kind of gave me all these contacts and told me about the Pagan Student Association before I got there. Um, so I had kind of the in and knew knew one of the clubs that I was going to join, right? Which is awesome <laughs> that we had that there for you. Right? <laughs> um, so kind of backing up. In high school... Um, by the time we read Greek mythology again for AP English, I was like solidly, this is what I'm doing. Um, the story might say that, but that's not quite what I believe happened. Like, started to have my own personal gnosis around different things. Um, and I was in more to reconstruction than New Age pagan. So, I know one of the groups I looked into was Hellenian, which is a Hellenic reconstruction group. Um, but it didn't quite fit with the layer of deeper interpretation that I had and the more personal connection. It just, it wasn't quite the perfect fit. Um, and so by the time I got to college and had joined PSA and, um, it was, it was a good experience because it was very open to different pagan paths and we would like take turns giving uh, presentations yep. on stuff. Um, that's where I met you. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lifer in the Pagan Student Association. I was there for the whole thing, pretty much, except yeah. for that first organizational meeting, which was the spring semester before I Started. came to OSU. So. Yeah, so we took turns giving presentations, and there were several ADF members in 
PSA, including you and um, Anna Banana. Nicole. And Nicole. Yeah, so there were already people who were in ADF, and I, my freshman year, started going to Three Cranes Grove events, but wouldn't commit to joining until I had graduated. Um, and it was, it was really interesting. I remember you drove me to the business meeting that I applied for Grove membership, and you asked me, you're like, why now? It's <laughs> <laughs> a valid question. Right? And, so, and I mean, the thing that I, like, settled on was I hadn't wanted to join because I didn't know where I would land. Like, I didn't know what city I'd end up in and if I would have a community. Because that's what made it for me, was having a pagan community. Um, and so, but by the time I graduated college, I was like, you know what, this is obviously my path and what I'm doing. Um, if I'm going to move, I'm going to move. But this is still going to be the thing that I'm following. Um, and so I was like, well, I may as well at this point. <laughs> and so I joined. Um, when I was a kid, I was raised in the United Church of Christ. Um, my, my family religious background is technically congregationalist. It's hard to find congregationalist churches sometimes, and so we ended up in the United Church of Christ, um, which is a very liberal denomination of Christianity, as far as I know. I, I think when deeply. I think when I was like real little, our family was United Church of Christ. Um, they, they're not. They don't offend anybody, as far as I can tell. They're great. I love them. Um, but I, I had some questions because, of course, I was reading, and when you are a kid and you read a lot. Um, especially if you're reading both fiction and nonfiction, you come up with a lot of weird questions to ask and a lot of things that, that sort of change your outlook on how the world is spiritually. And some of those questions were, I think, good and useful. So one of the, one of the questions that I came up with was, I don't really understand this whole concept of a devil, of someone who is ultimately evil, especially when you have an omnipotent God this, this whole thing, it didn't make sense. Mine revol revolved around that as well, because a lot of the questions that I had were around suffering. Yes. Like, why do bad things happen if there's this God who's Who perfect and can see all... cares for us. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so why do bad things happen? I mean, that's a very deep theological question. It is, and the book of Job is not really good at telling you why, <laughs> even though that is the, the quintessential argument in the Bible. It's, it's not a very convincing one to me, personally. Um, then there were other things. One of the things that, as I look back on it now, when I was a kid, I clearly had a terrible understanding of the concept of sacrifice. I thought things just disappeared when God took them, which is not the case, and not at all a good understanding of what sacrifice means. But um, I remember sitting in church, and my mother had given me lifesavers to... Um, to tide me over, and I thought, oh, I'll give them as a sacrifice, and so I held them and I prayed, and they didn't go anywhere, and I was like, huh, things don't work like I expect them to work, clearly there must be something wrong, so it's not always something, I don't think, intelligible <laughs> that causes people to, to start questioning those beliefs, because clearly... I, I remember... Having a conversation with some religious leader of some sort about 
why would I want to go to heaven when heaven is cold and hell is warm? Right? Because I I hate being cold, and so I was like, well, if if hell is burning and on fire, uh, then clearly that's where I want to be instead of some icy cloud palace, right? <laughs> where water condenses and things fall. Yes, I, I I could see that. So that is uh, one of my young childhood decisions. Yeah, and I think that those just happen, um, and. That's just kind of the, the way that things occur for, for a lot of people is, you know, they, they may not necessarily have those questions start from a, a good place or like an intelligent place in my case, um, <laughs> or a logical place or maybe or, in or your mine. case. <laughs> but um, in a lot of ways, I think that the, the key thing is having someone who's patient enough to answer those questions and to, and to engage and talk about those kinds of questions and say, no, that's not actually what that means, or no, heaven's not actually cold. Um, and I think that the kinds of ways that we're raising our kids, I hope, is where when they come to us with those questions, we are patient with them, and we tell them, no, that's not exactly how that works, and I trust you enough to have a, a fully grown-up conversation about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's really what the kids want. If if I had gotten a straight answer about my sacrifice thing, or if I had even known to ask, um, I might be in a completely different position than I am now. Right, right. And I think the biggest thing is when you're, like, deciding your path is is having a way to acquire answers. Yes. In what, Whether that's a person or a book or the internet or whatever. Having a way to acquire answers. And then, kind of secondarily, having a support system. Yeah. Um... Some people's parents are supportive of them finding whatever their path is. Some people find an online community. Some people find a physical community. So I think there's kind of two things are yep. key. I agree. At the end of the day, one of the one of the things that I always hope that we do is that um, we're open and transparent. Because if we are, then we can have those kinds of conversations. And we can make sure that particularly our kids but also other people in our faith communities aren't making assumptions and then carrying those assumptions to an illogical end. And we can help people find a good fit. Exactly. Thanks for listening and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something that you'd like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsincars at threecranes.org. If you would like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.